So when you hear that cry in the sky, Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden. Our Miss Brooks is an English teacher at Madison High School. She can tell you everything you need to know about the present and past subjunctive, but she's not at all sure about the future. That is, her romantic future with biology teacher Philip Boynton. The Columbia Broadcasting System presents a new comedy. My friend Irma. Starring Marie Wilson as Irma and Kathy Lewis as Jane with John Brown as Al. Hey everyone, it's OTR Rob welcoming you to another edition of Our Miss Brooks. This Our Miss Brooks <laughs> comes from November 28, 1948, and it's the day after Thanksgiving, at least in 1948 it was, and the episode is entitled The Sunnyvale Finishing School. Well, Our Miss Brooks has put an application at the Sunnyvale School as a teacher. <laughs> yes, of course, as a teacher, but primarily she's putting in for the position of the English teacher at Sunnyvale School, and she got a confirmation that they received her application and they're willing to meet with her for an interview. In the meantime, Philip Boynton has something else going on. Find out what that is. And think road trip with our Miss Brooks. That's that's a clue. And he's going to ask our Miss Brooks to go with him. Find out what it all means. And I have to apologize for the beginning of this episode of Our Miss Brooks. They had some kind of technical difficulties, CBS did, for whatever reason. No one knows, so CBS put in some organ music played by Richard Arundt, who was their resident orchestra leader and arranger for most of the shows on CBS. So I cut half of that out so you wouldn't have to go through, so you wouldn't have to listen to all of it. So there's like a minute and a half that I cut out of the organ music just so uh, we could get to the episode, so don't worry. So, in the meantime, enjoy this episode of Our Miss Brooks from November 28, 1948. And I'll be back after this with my friend Irma. Gentlemen, the start of the program, Our Miss Brooks, brought to you, usually at this time, sponsored by the Colgate Palmolive Feet Company, is being delayed momentarily due to technical difficulties beyond our control. In the meantime, we offer you Organ Melodies by Dick O'Rourke.
Ladies and gentlemen, we have brought you Organ Melodies by Dick O'Ron. We've delayed the start of our Miss Brooks program, brought to you by the Colgate Palmolive Feet Company. Now, technical difficulties being restored, we take you to our Miss Brooks. Yes, Mrs. Davis, something pretty important has come up that I've got to discuss with Mr. Boynton. I'm meeting him at the zoo right now. Tell you all about it when I come back. Goodbye. Oh, Connie, you left a couple of letters on your dresser. She must be in a hurry. She didn't even open her mail, except this one. Dear Miss Brooks, as principal of Sunnydale Finishing School, oh, I shouldn't be reading Connie's mail. I'll get on with my vacuuming. First, I'll, I'll get this corner here. Still, it's, it's pretty dirty over by that dresser. As principal of Sunnydale Finishing School, I hereby acknowledge your application for a position. Oh, oh, I'm terrible. I'd better get over to the other side of the room. Still, <laughs> pretty dirty around Connie's letter, uh, dresser. <laughs> Application for a position as an English teacher at our school. This is to inform you. Oh, I better shut this thing off. I can hardly hear what I'm reading. <laughs> this is to inform you that we have an opening at Sunnydale, and we're looking forward to a personal interview. Very truly yours, Jonathan F. Margaret Davis. Don't you dare read another word of this letter. No wonder Connie was so excited. Sunnydale is one of the most exclusive schools in the country. But that would mean her leaving Madison High. Oh, this is awful. I better phone Osgood Conklin. As principal of Madison High School, he ought to know about this. Hello? Hello. Martha, this is Margaret Davis. Oh, hello, Margaret. How are you on this fine day after Thanksgiving? Well, frankly, Martha, I'm a little upset. So is Osgood. He ate himself into a coma yesterday. <laughs> oh, then, uh, maybe you better not tell him today. Tell him what? That our Miss Brooks may be leaving Madison High to take a position at Sunnydale Finishing School. Sunnydale Finishing School? How do you know, Margaret? Did Miss Brooks tell you? Not exactly, but I got it from the principal of Sunnydale himself, Jonathan F. Uh, Jonathan F. Who? Um, hold the wire a minute. Byers. Jonathan F. Byers. Is he there now? Yes, right on Miss Brooks' dresser. I mean... Uh... <laughs> Martha, look. You've got to promise me you'll never breathe a word of this to Miss Brooks or anyone else. Oh, I promise, Martha. Yes. Just by accident, I just happened to read a letter that was lying on Miss Brooks' dresser. By accident, Margaret? Yes, I just happened to have my glasses on. <laughs> but what are we going to do, Martha? We can't let Miss Brooks leave Madison. No, we certainly can't. Uh, tell you what, Margaret. I'll talk this over with my daughter, Harriet, and call you back later. All right. And remember, you promised not to mention a word about my reading Miss Brooks' mail. Oh, of course, my dear. Goodbye. Goodbye. Oh, I hope they'll be able to think of some way to keep her here. Oh, hello, Minerva. I'll get you some milk in a minute, dear. Now, now, now. Now, now, Minerva. Better stop licking your paw. You know what it does to you. Yeah. 
savage birds. Oh, of course, Mr. Boynton. I thought you were a little tall for a pelican. <laughs> it was nice of you to meet me. How did you get over here so quickly? It was simple. I dressed on the way over. <laughs> but now that I'm here, <laughs> what was it you wanted to see me about? Well, perhaps we'd better sit down while I tell you. Here's a bench under this tree. Fine. Yeah, you comfortable? Perfectly. Miss Brooks, I, uh... Yes, Mr. Barton? Well, you must forgive me if I seem overexcited, but frankly, I never thought this day would come. You didn't? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh. Well, before it goes, why didn't you think it would ever come? <laughs> because... Because of the things that have happened in the past, or rather because of the things that haven't happened in the past. Those are the ones that bother me, too. <laughs> You realize, of course, I'm referring to the migratory habits of the Arctic grackle. Oh, I realized that a long time ago. I just didn't want to let on. <laughs> this is the first time a grackle has ever been south of the Canadian border. Maybe he was waiting till after the election. <laughs> I knew that something was afoot when I looked out of my window this morning and saw a black and blue bullfinch. What happened to him? Get caught in a badminton game? <laughs> um, of the grackle can be very accurately charted by closely observing the bullfinch, since they are, in the truest sense of the word, full cousins to the mottled thrush. Where did he come from? Hudson Bay. And almost all of these species of bird like to lay their eggs in a soft, downy nest amid quiet surroundings. That's why I sent for you, Miss Brooks. Good. I'll take my hat off and keep my mouth shut. <laughs> I know this sounds terribly involved, but actually it's quite simple. You see... My uncle's farm in Boonville is a perfect nesting ground for both bullfinch and thrush. How does your aunt feel about that? Well, they both love birds. They've built a sanctuary for them, and I have an idea that if I get right up there, I may stumble into some grackle eggs. Sounds like fun, if you don't mind albumin on your Oxford. <laughs> That's why I asked you to meet me, to say goodbye. Goodbye? But, Mr. Boynton, haven't you heard the old saying? Two grackle hunters are better than one? Oh, but you couldn't come along with me. It's a ten-hour drive to Boonville, and we'd have to stay overnight. Oh, but we'd certainly be well chaperoned, what with your aunt and uncle and all those bullfinches. Yes, they did have 600 of them up there last year, but I don't know, Miss Brooks. Even with the chaperones, you, you know how people talk, and unless we didn't say anything about it, but even then they might find out, although we'd only be gone a couple of days... Still, if the rumor got around that we were... Of course, we wouldn't be. But then there are those who might... Uh, oh, but how could they? What do you think, Miss Brooks? Why should I butt in? Decide among yourselves. <laughs> well, it is kind of a long trip to make alone. Maybe you're right, Miss Brooks. Why, with the two of us traveling together, time will fly. We can chat together, eat together, yes, and Mr. pay for the gas together. <laughs> I still insist that no one should hear about it, though. For the sake of both our reputations, absolute secrecy is essential. Not a word of this must cross our lips. Can I depend on you not to divulge our plans to a living soul? On your honor, Miss Brooks? Get out your penknife and let it, let's exchange blood. <laughs> We'll continue in just a moment, but first, here is Vern Smith with an important announcement. 
Attention, ladies, regardless of age, skin type, or previous beauty care, doctors prove you, too, may win a lovelier complexion with palm olive soap. But to win this lovelier complexion, the kind men admire and women envy, you must stop improper cleansing. Instead, use palm olive soap alone, the way doctors advise. Remember, 36 doctors, leading skin specialists, advised 1,285 women, many with complexion problems, to use palm olive this way. Some had dry skin, some oily, some coarse-looking. Using palm olive soap alone, two out of three won lovelier complexions, regardless of age, type of skin, or previous beauty care. Now, here's the plan doctors advise. Wash your face with palm olive soap. Massaging for one minute with palm olive soft lather. This cleansing massage brings your skin palm olive's full beautifying effect. Rinse. Do this three times a day for 14 days. It's that simple. But leading skin specialists prove this way, using palm olive alone, nothing else, really works. So forget other beauty care. Use palm olive soap as these doctors advised for a lovelier complexion. Last night on the CBS Sing It Again program, you were promised an additional clue to the Phantom Voice and the $24,000 prize. Here it is. The Phantom is a famous ghost who galloped far from post to post. Yes, there is the clue for the $24,000 prize on the CBS Sing It Again program on Saturday night. The clue again... The Phantom is a famous ghost who galloped far from post to post. And now as she quietly prepares for a weekend in the country, our Miss Brooks is blissfully unaware of the furor caused by the five-year-old letter which she left on her dresser. Let's look in now on Martha Conklin as she discusses the situation with her daughter Harriet. Well, you see, Harriet, it looks very much like your favorite teacher will soon be leaving Madison High. Oh, that's terrible, Mother. Have you told Daddy about it yet? Uh, not yet, Harriet. I'm waiting until he recovers from his Thanksgiving dinner. You know how upset he gets when we mention the shortage of teachers. Oh, yes. Golly, Mother, he's been lying over there on the couch for hours. Do you think he's all right? Oh, of course he's all right. He's just sleeping. Aren't you, Osgood? good? I say, aren't you just sleeping off good? No. No, no, no. Take it away. Take it. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I guess I was having a nightmare. A nightmare, Daddy? Yes, I dreamt I was still eating. <laughs> I swear I don't know how those pilgrims did it. Did what, Oscar? Ate all that turkey and fought Indians besides. <laughs> I'm surprised at you, Daddy. That's not the real Thanksgiving spirit. A lot I've got to be thankful for. Well, you've got us, Daddy. Mother and me. Yeah. <laughs> I've got you, all right. I've also got the school. A school full of overcrowded classrooms and a horde of unreasonable teachers constantly screaming for a living wage. Now, Osgood, don't work yourself up into a stew. Oh, Please. Don't even mention words like that. You haven't got the right attitude, Daddy. Nowadays, if you can hang on to the good teachers you've got, anything else you get is gravy. Me! Me! Not you, too. Maybe we ought to go out and let your father sleep a while longer, Harry. Yes, that's a splendid suggestion, Martha. Oh, this couch feels good. Oh, I'll get it. Coming. 
Oh, hello, Walter. Come on in. It's Walter Denton, Mother. Hiya, Harriet. Hello, Mrs. Conklin. Hello, Walter. <laughs> and how are you, Mr. Conklin? You certainly look peaceful. I was, Denton. <laughs> Did you finish your lunch, Harriet? I just finished mine. We had plenty of turkey left over from yesterday, and I just ate the part that went over the... Oh, no! <laughs> Father, Harriet, doesn't he feel good? Not too good, Walter. Let's go into the other room. Okay. I hope you feel better, Mr. Conklin. I guess it was a mistake to hash over Thanksgiving no. again. <laughs> oh, now, listen, Walter. There's something we want to tell you. Guess what, Walter? Miss Brooks is leaving Madison High. What? How do you know, Harriet? Mother found out from Mrs. Davis. Mrs. Davis? How does she know? Uh, we can't repeat that, Walter. Repeat what? That Mrs. Davis read a letter Miss Brooks left on her dresser. It was a letter offering her a position at Sunnydale Finishing School. Sunnydale? But that's 500 miles from here. Oh, we've got to do something. But maybe we can cook up some kind of a scheme to make her stay. I know. We'll pretend I've become a delinquent. But do you think it'll work? It's got to work. Have you told Mr. Conklin about this? Uh, not yet. We didn't want to upset him. Well, he'll find out sooner or later, and there's no sense in waiting until it's too late. Somebody ought to tell him right away. I agree. Don't you, Mother? Yes, Harriet, I do. Somebody ought to tell him. Walter, don't look at me. If I go in there now, you'll bite my head off. <laughs> don't be silly, Walter. Mr. Conklin won't eat anything for two more days. <laughs> Oh, I'm kind of busy right now, Mrs. Davis. She would come around just when I'm packing. Well, come on in. Why, Connie, you're going away. No, Mrs. Davis, I'm not going away. Then why are you packing that bag? I'm going away, Mrs. Davis. <laughs> I'm surprised at you, Constance, leaving town without even saying goodbye. Enough to be been so close. Oh, please don't feel that way, Mrs. Davis. I I just didn't want to discuss it right now. You see, I have a lot of things to... Oh, I, I don't want anybody to see me like this. You answer the door, Connie. I'm going into the kitchen and make some tea. All right, Mrs. Davis. Hello, Miss Brooks. I've just got to talk to you for a minute. Come in, Harriet. Let's sit here in the living room. I can't stay very long, but Then I'll... it's true. You are leaving town. Leaving town? How did you know, Harriet? What's the difference? I know. And I realized it might be a pretty good opportunity for you. Pretty good? With half a break from the grackle, it's perfect. <laughs> oh, look, Harriet, I appreciate your interest, but I think I have to make my own decision in a matter like this. Oh, I know it seems attractive now, but later on you'll regret it. Well, I'll have to take my chances on that. <laughs> well, if you won't consider yourself, consider the ones who care for you... Think of Walter Denton. Is that a must? <laughs> He's going to pieces. His parents, me, nobody can do anything with him. You've got to straighten him out, Miss Brooks. What in the world are you talking about, Harriet? It's the career he's decided upon. Walter's been reading a big book lately about the Treasury Department and counterfeiters and... Well, that's nothing to be alarmed about. Every boy his age wants to be a T-man or a G-man or some kind of a letter man. But he doesn't want to be a T-man. He wants to be a counterfeiter. A counterfeiter? Oh, I'll get it. Hello, Walter. Come in. Hiya, Miss Brooks. 
I'm glad I nailed you before you took it on the lamb. <laughs> Let's angle into the living room. Oh, hello, Harriet. How's my little confederate to be, huh? <laughs> See, Miss Brooks, see how funny he acts? What is all this nonsense, Walter? What do you mean nonsense? I'm making money hand over fist. The only trouble is scratching the green goods ain't enough. It ain't? Nah. You gotta get a good queer shover to help you pass the boodle. Queer shover? <laughs> a paper hanger. You know, snide pitcher. You can have the best cognac in the world make your slush, but if you ain't got a top build poster to push the flash, you might as well slough the screwy and scramble for the McCoy. <laughs> yes, but if I could find my way back alone, I'd leave now. You've got to do something, Miss Brooks. Walter wasn't cut out for a life of crime. Oh, now listen, you two. I don't know what's behind all this, but this well, is... Well, it's simple. When you get to where you're going, I'll send you a few stacks of hot to shove. I don't want to shove no hot. I mean... <laughs> I wish somebody would tell me what's coming. It's a good thing I never built a better mousetrap. Good afternoon, Miss Brooks. Why, it's Mr. Mousetrap. I mean, Mr. Conklin. <laughs> Come on in. Who is that, Connie? It's Mr. Conklin. Oh, hello, Osgood. I was just making some tea, but you know what they say. A watch pot never boils. Hello, Margaret. Now then, Miss Brooks, I'll be brief. I know that you're leaving town. You too? Somebody must be reading my mail. <laughs> On second thought, I'd better go back and watch that pot. <laughs> Miss Brooks, I think I can say without fear of contradiction that I know how to run a school as well as any principal in the country. Well, I guess you do, Mr. Conklin. That's I why I'm here, to ask you to reconsider this proposition you had. Proposition? Yes. I can offer you anything he can. Why, what would Mrs. Conklin say if she knew you were talking this way? She's all for it. <laughs> and so is my daughter, Harriet. Oh, now, please, Mr. Conklin. I've had a rather puzzling day so far, but this is... It just happens that your daughter's in the living room now. I think we'd better go in there. I'll be glad to. Uh, hello, Harriet. Walter. Hi, hello, Mr. Conklin. I'm awfully glad you decided to put your pride in your pocket and come over here. Did you ask her yet? Yes, Harriet, I did. The rest is up to Miss Brooks. Don't go away, anybody. I'll punch your transfers when I get back. <laughs> Mr. Boynton. Yes, Miss Brooks, it's I. May I come in? Oh, of course. I've still got a single in the mezzanine. <laughs> but I can't help wondering, what happened to that oath of secrecy we took? That's what I'd like to know. I thought you weren't going to tell anybody about our trip to my uncle's place. I didn't say a word about it. You didn't? No. Well, I've never seen so many wagging tongues in all my life. You think you've seen wagging tongues? My living room looks like a delicatessen. <laughs> well, I just don't understand. What... Oh, hello, folks. Hi, Hi Mr. Boynton. Oh, I'm glad you're here, Boynton. Maybe you can help get Miss Brooks to change her mind. Well, I don't wish to appear insubordinate, sir, but frankly, I thought the trip might do us both a lot of good. Both? <laughs> don't tell me you're leaving, too. Pretty soon there'll be no faculty left at Madison High whatsoever. We might as well all go. I don't think his uncle and aunt have room for you all. <laughs> Besides, Mr. Conklin, I think where I go and what I do is nobody's business but my own. And I say it is our business. 
Why you should want to go traipsing after Sunnydale Finishing School is beyond me. Sunnydale Finishing School? Of course. Now, there's no sense in beating about the bush. Mrs. Davis read the letter you left on your dresser this morning, and we know you've been offered a job there. Oh, that letter. Why, that's over five years old, Mr. Conklin. I turned that job down long ago. Oh, I'm so happy, Miss Brooks. Hooray, now I can go straight. (laughs) But then, what were we talking about? You, uh, Mr. Boynton, uh, what was, uh, how was, uh, why did Miss Brooks, just where were you and Mr. Boynton going together? That, Mr. Conklin, is a secret between Mr. Boynton, myself, and 600 bullfinches. Steve Arden, as our Miss Brooks, returns in just a moment, but first... Dream girl, dream girl, beautiful luster cream girl. Tonight, show him how much lovelier your hair can look after a luster cream shampoo. Only luster cream brings you K. Dumas' magic formula blend of secret ingredients plus gentle lanolin. Gives loveliness lather even in hardest water. Glamorizes your hair as you wash it. Luster cream, not a soap, not a liquid, but a dainty cream shampoo. Leaves hair fragrantly clean, free of loose dandruff, glistening with sheen, soft, manageable. Gives new beauty to all hairdos or permanents. Four-ounce jar, one dollar. Smaller sizes, either tubes or jars. Tonight, try Luster Cream Shampoo and be a dream girl, dream girl, beautiful Luster Cream girl. You owe your crowning glory to a Luster Cream Shampoo. And now, once again, here is our Miss Brooks. Well, after everyone found out about our plans, Mr. Boynton naturally called off the expedition. But things weren't a total loss, because Saturday afternoon he took me back to the zoo, and we sat by the aviary once again. You know, Miss Brooks, even though our trip didn't work out, I was very gratified to learn of your interest in birds and wildlife in general. Yes, I'm a great bird for wildlife. Since this common interest of ours has brought us so much closer together, there's something else I want to tell you, Miss Brooks. Something I think you ought to know. What's that, Mr. Boynton? There's a pelican here who holds 18 pounds of fish in his beak. What's he waiting for? The price to go up? Cream shampoo for soft, glamorous dream girl hair. Our Miss Brooks, starring Eve Arden, is produced by Larry Burns, written and directed by Al Lewis, with music by Wilbur Hatch. Mr. Boynton is played by Jeff Chandler, Mr. Conklin by Gail Gordon. Dentists know what cleans teeth best, and over 4,000 dentists say Colgate Tooth Powder with a two minute routine gets teeth sparkling and super clean. So to remove dull film and get your teeth shining clean, just brush teeth two minutes, morning and night, with Colgate Tooth Powder. Brush inside, outside, and biting surfaces. Always brush away from the gums. See how this gets teeth naturally bright. 
It removes dull film that improper brushing misses. And Colgate Tooth Powder also sweetens your breath. Try it. Buy Colgate Tooth Powder today. For mystery liberally sprinkled with laughs, listen to Mr. and Mrs. North, the exciting, fun-packed adventures of an amateur detective and his beautiful wife. Tune in Tuesday evenings over most of these same stations. And be with us again next week at the same time for another comedy episode of Our Miss Brooks. Stay tuned now for Laman Abner. Bob Lamont speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting Foster, and I live with Irma Peterson, who can best be described as an abandoned automobile. Why do I say it's abandoned? Well, uh, the body's there, and it's beautiful, and it gets around all right, but the things that happen to it make you wonder if there's anyone behind the wheel. <laughs> Would you like an example? Okay. The other night, I was reading an article about the canneries in Seattle, and I said to Irma, Yes, Kay? Did you know that one fish makes 12 cans of salmon? He does? Imagine what he could make if he worked overtime. <laughs> I've done some reading in the past about my friend Irma, and Mary Ship, who came on to the role of Kay Foster, actually came to the role for the television series, not the radio series. And I'm surprised to hear that Mary Ship is on some of these radio programs of my friend Irma because he never mentioned it in Mary Schiff's bio or in the My Friend Irma uh, information that Mary Schiff did any of the radio programs, but we have it here as proof. So enjoy this, and I'll be back with Fred Allen. by Cy Howard with Mary Schiff as Kay and starring Marie Wilson as Irma. Hi, I'm Kay Foster and I live with Irma Peterson who can best be described as an abandoned automobile. Why do I say it's abandoned? Well, uh, the body's there, and it's beautiful, and it gets around all right, but the things that happen to it make you wonder if there's anyone behind the wheel. <laughs> Would you like an example? Okay. The other night, I was reading an article about the canneries in Seattle, and I said to Irma, Yes, Kay? Did you know that one fish makes 12 cans of salmon? He does? Imagine what he could make if he worked overtime. <laughs> subway amidst the rush and bustle of the fast-moving crowds with the roar and din of the machine age. Yes, and Irma is the victim of the machine age, because there she stands at the foot of the stairs, putting a penny in the gum machine, the peanut machine, the candy machine. Now so she's gone over to the weighing machine. Well, this I don't get. Most people stand on the scale, but she's sitting on it. <laughs> Honey, what's the idea? Well, I'm trying to reduce, so I want to see what my hips weigh. <laughs> 
Stand up. People are watching you. Oh, here comes the train. Wait till I get the little car. All right, you can read it on the train. You on, Irma? Yeah, I'm here. Oh, made it. Well, Irma, what did your card say, huh? Well, my weight is the same, and they guessed right on my fortune, too. They did? Yeah, it says, you are gifted with great intelligence. Glad you weren't home when it came. <laughs> Let me see the card, honey. Hmm. Oh, I see. This card's for Capricorn people. You were born in June. You're a Gemini. I couldn't be, Kay. My parents came from Sweden. <laughs> no, no, dear. Gemini is a sign of the Zodiac. It means the twins. Twins? Well, what do you know? Hey, I'd better write to my mother. Why? One of us is missing. <laughs> no, dear. You see... Oh, look, we'll take this up some other time. This is where I get off. If you want to learn about the Zodiac, stop at the newsstand and buy a, a horoscope magazine. Oh, I sure will, Kay. I think no matter how smart a person is, I can always learn a little more. Miss <laughs> Peterson? Hey. Miss Peterson, come in here. All right, Mr. Clyde. Miss Peterson, what in the world is the idea of ending all my letters with respectfully yours, Mr. Clyde the Bull? Because <laughs> that's the sign of the Zodiac you were born under. Never mind what sign I was born under. If you don't stop this nonsense, you will die under the sign of Milton J. Clyde, attorney at law. <laughs> Look, Miss Peterson, throw that trashy book out the window. It's not trashy. This book is all about astrology and has given me a new outlook on life. What do you mean? Well, according to my chart, I'm a very responsible person and I should be entrusted with important things. Mm-hmm. Miss Peterson, I wouldn't trust you to jump out of the window. You'd probably land on somebody and kill them. <laughs> You're the only girl I know who licks a stamp on the wrong side because you don't like the taste of glue. <laughs> I used to argue with you because it says here... Gemini people should never argue with our interiors. Superiors! That's superior! <laughs> Mr. Clyde, Taurus people never raise their voice. Mr. Clyde, now why don't you do what the book says? What, give you responsibility? Yeah. Well, I'll be out of my mind. Now, look, Miss Peterson, I've got to get ready for that trip to Washington. Let me see. The affidavits, briefcase. Where's the police that was under my desk? Well, I sent it to the hotel you're stopping at in Washington. But I hadn't packed my clothes in it yet. <laughs> oh, you idiot. I'm going to have to get another bag. Where are the train tickets? Well, I put them in the valise for safekeeping. <laughs> All right, Miss Peterson. You want responsibility? Oh, yes, Mr. Clyde. Well, I'm giving it to you. I'm leaving here, and if you read in the paper that I've thrown myself off the Washington Monument, it's your responsibility. Goodbye, Gemini. Hello, honey. Back from work so early? Irma? <laughs> Irma, say something. I'm sorry, Kay. Gemini people aren't very talkative. <laughs> sorry I started you on that horoscope kick. Irma, watch out for those papers on the table. Gee, this place looks like an office. What are you doing? Oh, I'm doing a little extra work for Richard. Your boss is always giving you extra things to do. That's not fair. Not fair? No, my horoscope says I can be trusted, that I'm dependable, and yet nobody depends on me. And if you were a true friend, you would depend on me. Honey, I try to depend on you. Last night, I wanted to make some chicken fricassee, so I sent you to the butcher to buy a half dozen drumsticks. What happened? 
Well, Kay, I looked in the window, and honest, they didn't have any six-legged chickens. <laughs> and what about this morning? Well, you told me to let the tub run, but I didn't say forever. <laughs> Come in. That's only me, Professor Kropotkin. Hello, Kay and Irma, my two little chocolate bars. One plain and the other nuts. <laughs> oh, Professor. Uh, a joke to cheer me up. Oh, what am I going to do, girls? I'm out of my mind. Well, what's wrong? Mrs. O'Reilly is studying opera. <laughs> oh, no. How does she sound? The only way I can describe it is to tell you that if she sang during the war, more people would have volunteered for overseas duty. <laughs> Horseshoe Circle. It's not even what you hear in a well-run barn. <laughs> Anybody home? Come in, Mrs. O'Reilly. Oh, hello, girl. Ah, here she is, the lily ponds of the 18th century. Ooh, <laughs> what are you mumbling about? Look, Mrs. O'Reilly, if you have to sing, can't you at least sing softly, like maybe lock yourself up in a closet? I don't see why. To be able to sing is a great gift. And it's something one should, shouldn't keep to themselves. It's like a ray of sunshine. It should be spread around. Well, you don't have to do it with your voice. You've already done it with your figure. <laughs> now, wait a minute, you emaciated mongoose. Okay. I'll have you. All no. right. You can yell at me. Now, wait, the two of you. You're contradicting the stars. The stars? What are you talking about, Irma? Well, you're Sagittarius, the archer, and Mrs. O'Reilly is Capricorn, the goat. That I know. <laughs> Well, Capricorn and Sagittarius people are attracted to each other and make the most successful marriages. They do? <laughs> Let me see the book, Irma. Here. Sagittarius and Capricorn people make a perfect match. <laughs> you a match? Let me tell you something. There's more heat in a dead glowworm. <laughs> oh, cutie. Now, let's Tonight should be very favorable for Sagittarius and Capricorn people because there's going to be a full moon. Well, Professor, aren't you going to take advantage of it? I certainly am. With the moon coming through the hole in my ceiling, I'll be able to read tonight. Goodbye, <laughs> girl. Oh, he plays so hard to get. I'll go down to my room and wait for him. <laughs> Well, how do you know he'll be there? Well, I cooked lunch for him today, so he'll be down to ask for some bicarbonate. Well, Irma's still got her head in the stars. In fact, she's been reading that horoscope book all day. Okay, this is interesting. What? Uh, my father was a bull and my mother was a crab. It's surprising. I turned out normal. <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah. Look, honey, I don't mind your being interested in astrology, but don't go to extremes. Okay, I believe everything this book says, 
Especially the part that says I can handle responsibility. Come in. Hiya, dollface. Hello, Kay. Hi. Hello, fish. <laughs> fish? Yes, Joe, you're Pisces, the fish. Now, beautiful, you don't have to call me a fish just because I once borrowed a fin from you. Zodiac. Sure, Joe. Irma spent a dollar for a book on astrology, and there's just no living with her. Oh, astrology. That's pretty interesting. Adolphe, see what the book says about me. I'll tell you whether it's on the level. Oh, now, let me see. Um, oh, here it is. Uh, Pisces men are honest, hardworking, and ambitious. <laughs> but well spent. <laughs> if you can sell it for a dime, grab it. No, okay, now, I still believe the part about myself... All I need is a chance to show it. Hello? Who? Oh, Miss Peterson? Yeah, Hermes for you. Oh, thanks, Kay. Hello? Oh, Mrs. Clyde. Huh? Come over to your house right away? Oh, all right. Yeah, right away. Goodbye. What's the matter, honey? Something wrong? I, I don't know, Kay, but I better hurry over there right away. Beautiful. If you did anything to jeopardize our livelihood by losing your job... Oh, of course not. <laughs> Remember, Irma, you just bought that genuine mink stole on credit, and it would break my heart if the man came and took all those rabbits back. Oh, now, please, both of you. Now, let's see. My lipstick, my eyebrow pencil, my comb, my wallet, the dress book, my scissors. Now, how am I going to carry all these things? You mean how? Aren't you going to carry your purse? A bag? No, I can't. The book says Gemini people like to take things in their own hands. <laughs> Yes? Uh, Mrs. Clyde sent for me. Oh, uh, please come in. Would you mind waiting in the library? I'd like to, but I haven't got a card. <laughs> oh, it's me, Mrs. Clyde. I'll be right out. Oh, hello, Emma. How are you? Oh, fine, Mrs. Clyde. When were you born? When was I born? Why? Uh, well, it's, it's very important. Oh, August 30th. Oh, you're Vigoro. Vigoro? Yeah. <laughs> then I should be very popular at garden parties. <laughs> well, you couldn't possibly mean Virgo. Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant to say. You know, I'm Gemini. Where's the bull? The bull? Yes, your husband. He's Taurus, the bull. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Clyde is ill. The doctor's with him now. He'll see you as soon as the doctor leaves. Oh, Mrs. Clyde, you redecorated the house. Mm, just a little. Oh, golly. Hey, what kind of candlesticks are these? Oh, those are old Dresden. Well, with prices so high, I guess one has to buy something secondhand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a lovely painting over the fireplace. Is that a family portrait? Uh, that's the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Oh, well, it's nice to have relatives who ride. <laughs> all right, Mrs. Clyde. I'll drop in again in the morning. Good day. Goodbye, Doctor. You may go in, Miss Peterson. First room to the right. Oh, thank you. And be on your guard, Mrs. Clyde. The book says you'll have a very exasperating visitor today. Now, she tells me. <laughs> Come in. Oh, look at you. How cute. My grandmother used to sleep with a bonnet like that. That's a nice bag. Oh, <laughs> Look, Miss Peterson, I can't go to Washington. The 
beside myself, you're the only one who can possibly understand these notes. The notes you transcribed for me. Yes? I want you to fly to Washington and deliver them to the Pentagon duty. Oh, boy, I'll be glad to, Mr. Clyde. This is a great day for Gemini people, and I'll show you I can be as responsible as the book says. Well, I certainly hope so, because it's a very important matter. You can stop by at the office and pick up your plane fare. Oh, don't worry about me, Mr. Clyde. Just take care of yourself. Uh... Can I do anything before I go? No, thank you. Oh, yes, yes. Read the label on that medicine bottle and pour a dose in that glass of water, will you please? All right. Just a minute. Oh, there. Drink it down. Thank you. My goodness. Never tasted so strong before. How much did you put in there? Six tablespoons. Six? The label says one tablespoon three times a day. I know, but I won't be here for two days, so I want to make sure you get it. Yeah, what's up, beautiful? Oh, it's happened. That astrology book was right. I'm going to Washington for Mr. Clyde. Washington? Yeah. Huh? Now, Faith, this is the opportunity I've been waiting for. What do you mean, Joe? I want you to discuss me with the Secretary of Labor. <laughs> oh, Joe, will you please stop with your cheap, chiseling tactics? Irma's going to Washington for Mr. Clyde and nothing else. Come on, honey, I'll help you pack. All right, Kate. Boy, am I excited. Gee, I knew the stars were in my favor. Yeah, so, you know, let's see. You better take some warm clothes. It's just a cold air. Yeah, and don't let me forget this map in case I get lost in Washington. But, honey, that's a street map of New York City. I know, but if I get lost, I'd like to be in a neighborhood I'm familiar with. <laughs> Come in. Hello, it's only us again. Sagittarius and the old goat. Glory <laughs> be. What's all the talking about, girl? Well, Irma's going to Washington for Mr. Clyde. Mr. Clyde? I can't believe it. Could this be the same Mr. Clyde that always makes you take a three-cent stamp to the post office as a sample so you won't bring back the wrong kind? <laughs> yeah, but not anymore. You all tried to give me an inferiority complex. Well, everything has changed because the stars are in my favor. Neptune is closer to Venus, and Juniper has entered the first house of Mercurichrome. <laughs> and destiny is my fate. I think Kinsey should investigate this whole thing. <laughs> Believe me, from this day on, things will be different. You've all treated me like a baby, but now I'm old enough to change myself. <laughs> With this turn of events, it's just it's still a little hard to believe. Honey, the book prophesied everything just as it happened. If it's right about Irma, maybe it's right about the part where Sagittarius and Capricorn make the best marriages. <laughs> Do you agree, <laughs> Professor? <laughs> Mrs. O'Reilly, the only way a book would make me propose to you would be for the dictionary to fall on my head and knock me unconscious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Professor, you're making a mistake. Remember, you all laughed at me. Yeah, but Irma, you haven't come back from Washington yet. How do we know what will happen down there? And what if Irma proves she's a responsible person? Then would you believe the part about you and me? Well, in that case, being a gypsy and a little superstitious by nature, I would have to agree that the book was right and that maybe Sagittarius should ask Capricorn to become Mrs. Sagittarius. Oh, lucky book. <laughs> Congratulations! You're as good as married. I'll call you as soon as I finish my business in Washington. Honey, don't you think you better get started? You don't have too much time. All right, Kate. 
I sure wish you could go with me. Well, so do I, but maybe the experience of going alone will be good for you. Well, I guess so. I'll bring you back a gift. Maybe a box of Martha Washington candy. And if the story isn't crowded, I'll ask Martha to autograph it for you. <laughs> Bye, everybody. I'm off. Bye. 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 Kay, it's been two days. You'd think she'd at least call us. Not even a postcard. Gee, I'm going out of my mind. Come in. It's a Clyde. I thought you were sick. I am, but I couldn't stay in bed with Washington calling me every hour. Where is Miss Peterson? I don't know. Well, Mr. Clyde, why did you send her? Besides being an idiot, I was desperate. <laughs> <laughs> wanted a chance to show she was responsible. You know how a woman can talk you into things. I know how they can cry. Don't I, Mrs. O'Reilly? Oh, be still. I haven't given up the ship yet. I can't understand it. She said she'd go to the airport and take a plane to Washington. Now, what could have happened? Oh, uh, pardon me, uh, uh, Mr. Dragas? Uh, could you tell me where, where the Pentagon building is? Sorry, never heard of it. You never heard of it? Yeah. Oh, dear, you know, I've asked ten person and no one knows. Do you mind if I if I use your phone? Yeah, go right ahead. Okay. Hello? This is me. <laughs> I'd like to call New York, please. Yes, I have the number. It's, um... Hello? Irma, why haven't we heard from you? Where are you? In Washington? What? You can't find the Pentagon building. Ask her what street she's on. Maybe I can help her. Uh, what street are you on, honey? You don't know, but it's three blocks from the Pacific Ocean. Irma, <laughs> you went to the wrong Washington. <laughs> well, Mr. Clyde has flown down to Washington. And Gemini has flown in from the other Washington. <laughs> right now, I'm looking through the astrology book, trying to find out how people born in the month of May can get their jobs back. I just don't see how she does these things. Really, I don't. In the first place, I just can't understand how she can sit there so unconcerned about the whole thing. Honey, aren't you worried about your job? No. No, not at all. Why not? Well, the book says Mars is in conjunction with Juniper, and Saturn is in a straight line with Mature Chrome. <laughs> Which makes things very favorable for Venus. Venus? What's Venus got to do with it? Well, if a girl without arms can get a job, I certainly can. <laughs> well, in this life, everyone has a job to do. And me, Kay Foster, my job is to keep in my right mind as I continue living with my friend, friend Irma came to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.
Hey everyone, this is OTR Rob. Welcome back to Fred Allen. We finally got our Fred Allen show for the end of November. And this comes from November 28, 1948, a day after Thanksgiving. And Fred Allen has dropped his $50,000 surety bond. Apparently a number of people wrote in to make a claim on that surety bond. But the one problem that came up was that the people who filed the claim, were never called on the Stop the Music radio program. And the reason why I know that is because a couple of staff members from Fred Allen's show would listen to Stop the Music, and they would write down all the names of all the people that Stop the Music talked to on the phone, because all of those names were announced out loud, so the people on the Fred Allen show wrote all those names down and kept track from every show week after week after week, so when someone filed a claim, they would know, the staff would know that that was either true or not true. So one man filed a lawsuit against Fred Allen, but he lost it pretty quickly because once he filed his name, the staff of the Fred Allen Show had a list of all the names of all the people that were called on Stop the Music. And, of course, the man lost his lawsuit. So Fred Allen just said to hell with it and dropped the $50,000 surety claim just so that wouldn't happen any longer. Because, as you know, lawyers in court are very expensive. And I happen to know all this because I read Treadmill to Oblivion Fred Allen's first book, and it was in there. So enjoy this episode with Georgie Jessel from November 28, 1948, and I'll be back next week. The Ford Dealers of America present The Fred Allen Show. with Fred's guest, Mr. George Jessel, Portland Hopper, Minerva Pius, Peter Donald, Parker Fenley, the DeMarco sisters, and Al Goodman and his orchestra. And this is Kenny D., D as in Delmar, D as in Ford dealer, D as in dependable. And dependable is the word for the service you get when you bring your Ford back home. Because Ford dealers really know Fords. They ought to. The average Ford dealer has been a Ford dealer 16 years. When you do one thing that long, you acquire a lot of know-how. And besides... Special Ford time-saving methods and special equipment speed the job. And this saving in labor saves you money. From every angle, you'll find it pays to bring your Ford back home to your Ford dealer. See him this week. Well, it's Sunday night again, and Fred Allen drives up to keep his weekly date at the corner of Main Street. As Fred locks his Ford, he hears a voice say, Mr. Allen! Portland, Say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry I'm late, Portland. I had to stop in at the National Surety Corporation. Why? Well, I canceled the bond we've had for the giveaway program. Aren't the listeners insured anymore? No, Portland. After eight weeks of insuring our listeners, we haven't had one legitimate claim. No letters? Oh, we've had hundreds of letters. One man named Frank Gould lost his pocketbook in Europe last summer and wanted us to send him the money he lost. <laughs> A shop owner out in California lost two rug customers while he was listening to the program. <laughs> he wanted the $22 profit he would have made on the sale. And we had a letter from a woman in Sioux City. 
She said, why do giveaway programs bother with radio shows? Why don't they just mail the money out to people and save all that trouble? <laughs> well, enough about the giveaway, Imglick Portland. What's a... <laughs> a word which I will translate later. <laughs> what, uh, what is new? The dock strike is over. Oh, I read that. Mama said when the dock strike started... 20 strikers were drowned. How could 20 strikers drown? When the strikers walked off the dock, they walked in the wrong direction. Oh, I don't know. That uh, that news I don't think is reliable, Portland. <laughs> I, uh, I, am going to, uh, I am going to buy my own paper. Can I go with you? Why, sure. Let's take a walk down Main Street. Let's. Come on. Hey, look at this. Mr. and Mrs. James Mason had a baby girl born on Thanksgiving Day. That's funny. What's funny? Instead of a turkey on Thanksgiving, the Mason had a stork. Yes, it is. <laughs> Not as funny as you thought, I don't know. <laughs> hey, what, what you should never... Never preface a joke. That's funny. You may be sadly awakened at the end. Of <laughs> Look here. What do you know? The Masons are naming the little girl the baby Portland. Someday the Masons' baby may grow up to be the capital of Oregon. Well, that's possible, and good luck. Say, <laughs> so here's an item, Portland. Look at this. It says radio comedy is suffering from monotony, undernourishment, and repetition. I wonder how people feel about radio comedy. Well, let's ask a few people now as we're walking along Main Street. This man coming with the sickle in the alligator case. Uh... <laughs> Pardon me, sir. I am Sergei Stroganov, oh. dance critic on Russia's outstanding tabloid Pravda. You say you are the dance critic? I am in America with Russian ballet. Oh. In Russia, we are having the greatest ballet dancers. How come? Everybody in Russia is on their toes. Oh, that, uh... I am studying America. Studying? The happiest people in America I am meeting in the subway. In the subway? It is like Russia. You mean the people? Always they are happy in the underground. <laughs> well, tell me, Sergey, how about radio in Russia? Do you have a short wave? In Russia, we are short of everything. <laughs> well, what is radio like in Russia? All day long is different programs, occasionally entertaining. Oh, really? <laughs> What, uh, what program? Stalin faces life. Yes. Front page, Stalin. Yes. Just plain Joe. Yes. The mystery chef who is later taking off his mask and surprise. Who is it? Stalin. Tell me, what about singing? On the hit parade is Bing Stalin. Bing Stalin? Always he is dedicating songs to the leaders of other countries. What, uh, what uh, leaders? To Chiang Kai-shek, Stalin is singing, I'd like to get you on a slow boat to China. <laughs> well, tell me, Sergei, what about comedy? You know, comedy in Russian radio. In Russia, we have a comedian. He is very funny. Uh, something like uh, Bob Hope? In Russia, there is no hope. <laughs> well, who is your comedian? Who else? Stalin. <laughs> you, uh... Stalin is cracking jokes and doubling over with laughing. The jokes are funny, eh? 
The jokes don't have to be funny. Why not? Comrade, in Russia, when Stalin is laughing, yes? everybody is laughing. Fine. You bore me. Long live the coming for. That's all, Sergei. It's a nice night to walk down Main Street, Portland Stars. Look at the sign and that haberdashery. What sign? Our socks look better on your feet than they do on our hands. Hey. <laughs> you fixed that up, too. You left a Y out of there, which would have made a question out of it. Why are the socks on our feet better? Hey, look, look who's coming. Titus Moody. Hi, Mr. Moody. Howdy, Bob. Well, Mr. Moody, did you uh, did you have a nice Thanksgiving? Why, the last thing I remember, my brother Huber come by for dinner. Oh, yes? To celebrate, I brought out a keg of hard, hard cider. A hard cider, hey? All morning, we sat around sipping and talking over old times. I see. Long about noon, Huber, he put down his cider mug and he says... Titus, there is power in that cake. Yeah. Next thing I know, Huber says, I'm a beaver. I'm a beaver? Yeah. And then he started gnawing the treadle on the melodeon. Huber, Huber was loaded, eh? Huber was loaded and he had his tail board up. What, what did he do? I, I took Huber's teeth out and locked him in the closet. Say, that was some Thanksgiving. Well, tell me, Mr. Moody, do you think comedy on the radio is suffering from monotony, undernourishment, and repetition? I only listen to one program on the radio. Oh, really? Which program? Lem and Clem. Lem? <laughs> Lem and Clem, eh? Uh, one fellow plays the Rubin and the other fellow plays the Booby. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, what do they do? Oh, they're always pulling jokes. <laughs> Lem, Lem will say to Clem, Clem, why is a pig's tail like four o'clock in the morning? <laughs> yeah. And then Clem, he'll say, cause it's twirly. <laughs> you, uh, you like Lem and Clem, eh? The worst things I've ever heard. So... <laughs> Come on, come on, Portland. Wait till I smell what they're making in the candy store. Oh, stop smelling that candy. Your nose will get fat. <laughs> Don't we know this little woman coming? Oh, this little woman using two clamshells for ear laps? We certainly do. It's Mrs. Nussbaum. So who is paging me? Oh, always it's you. Yes, hey, you look happy tonight, Mrs. Nussbaum. Why not? I'm just coming from my psychiatrist. Oh, you have to... You have to go to a psychiatrist? Well, every night I'm dreaming. Oh, you're dreaming? Always it is the same dream. What, uh, what is your dream? Always it is a bake shop. A bake shop, hey? Curled up, lying in the window... I am a bagel. <laughs> a bagel? And the window is filled with bread, long loaves. Uh-huh. And always the bread to me is trying to sing something. Yes? Always I am not understanding. Well, did the psychiatrist interpret your dream? In two visits. Oh, in two visits. What is the reason that you, the bagel, cannot understand the long loaves of bread? It is French bread. Oh, I... <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
You should have a crawler there to interpret for you. Well, Mrs. Nussbaum, about radio comedy, do you think it is suffering from monotony? By me, every week is sounding similar, the joke. Oh, what, uh, what program do you listen to? Jack Benny. <laughs> do you think Jack Benny's program is always the same? What's changing? Well... Always is starting the program, Mr. F.E. Bloom of Lexington, Kentucky. <laughs> Always is coming on Don Vilstein first again with Tabasco Men. Yeah. Always is singing a quartet. Yeah. And as the program is ending, our voice is saying, Jack Benny will coming back in just a minute. And then what happens? Who knows? You mean? Enough is enough already. Enough? Before Jack Benny is coming, yes. I am going. Thank you. <laughs> You sure run into some strange characters on Main Street, Portland. You haven't found out anything about radio comedy, have you? No, not up to now. Well, look, I'll try this man coming along wearing the rubber gloves and carrying the live wire for a cane. <laughs> Pardon me, bud. Rejoice, brother. My name is Humphrey Titter. Humphrey Titter? I'm the Joy Boy. Stand back, brother. I'll let go of Bluebird. <laughs> I remember you. I remember you, Titter. Titter, you, uh, you write unusual greeting cards and jingles. Oh, yes. Everybody sends out cards to couples getting married. Yes, and you? I send out cards to people getting divorced. <laughs> divorced? Congratulations, Sam, old boy. Now you've dumped that Jane. Coming back from Reno, you'll ride the freedom train. <laughs> Rejoice, brother. You can be happy as a cricket. Try rubbing your legs together. <laughs> Look, Mr. Titter, what about the monotony of radio comedy? I have a solution. Good. I'll write a jingle. I'll take this down. Uh, what's the title? Farewell. Farewell. Farewell to you, old radio jokes. I can stand you no longer. California weather and airwick. Azusa and Cucamonga. <laughs> Who's on first? Jolson's age. How big is Durante's nose? Canter with his five daughters. How sloppy are Crosby's clothes. Alan's Alley, the mean widow kid. Sinatra looking so bony. Fibber McGee in his closet. Tell me, which twin has the Tony? Coming, mother. Listen, Gracie. At long last, I've made my decision. So farewell to you, old radio jokes. I'm turning to television. So long, Mr. Titter. Rejoice, mother. <laughs> Well, come on, come on. He didn't let go the bluebird. I was watching him all the time. Let's go. Look, there's a nod for Ray Bolger's show, Where's Charlie? Remember that song Ray sings in the show, Once in Love with Amy? How does it go? Oh, well, some Sunday I'll have Al Goodman and his orchestra play it, and the five DeMarcos sing Once in Love with Amy for you, Portland. You know, I think it'll sound something like this. Flowers, moon a million hours away. You 
might be quite the fickle-hearted rover, so carefree and bold, who loves a girl and later thinks it over and just Portland, have you got a nickel? Kenny Delma just put a telephone in his new Ford. You know, I think I'll call him up and try the, the phone out. Here's a nickel. Oh, thanks a lot. There's a phone in this fruit store. I'll, I'll be right back, Portland. Here's the phone. Hello, hello, operator? Operator, give me information, please. Information? Uh, this is Fred Allen. I want to get Kenny Delmar's Ford. Is it a new number, sir? You bet it's a new number. It's a 49 Ford. A 49 Ford? Yes, it's a convertible with an equipoise V8 engine. You are calling Kenny Delmar's Ford convertible? 100 horsepower New York City? That's right. The number is Sensation 1, Nyan 4, Nyan. I will get you the operator. Well, thank you. Hello? Hello, operator? Number, please? Uh, operator, I'm trying to get Kenny Delmar's Ford. A 49 Ford? Yes, the number is Sensation 1949. I am trying to get your party. Thank you. What model Ford is it? It's the convertible with hydrocoil front springs, midship ride, and magic action brakes. I'm sorry, sir. Mr. Delmar's line is busy. Okay, operator. I'll call him back later. Oh, before you hang up, sir. Yes? How can I get a 49 Ford? Well, the only thing I can suggest, operator, is that you see your Ford dealer right away. Goodbye. Nickel back, Portland. I got some change inside. Come on now, I'm late. Late for what? Well, I have to meet Georgie Jessel at Lindy's. He sent me a note. Is George Jessel still a big movie producer at 20th Century Fox? Portland, Mr. Zanuck, the head of the studio, doesn't make a move without Jessel. Before Mr. Zanuck produced that picture, Snake Pit, for six months he had Georgie coiled up in a box with a cobra. <laughs> George Jessel wants to see you about. Well, here's Lindy's. Let's go in and find out. Oh, I have to meet Mama at the automat. Oh, come on, come on. You can have a sandwich at Lindy's. I can't. Mama has two slots reserved at the automat. Oh, well, <laughs> Good night. Good night, Portland. Sure crowded tonight. I wonder where. Uh... Well, well, hello, Fred. Georgie Jessel. Georgie. <laughs> Georgie, Georgie, I got your note. Well, Fred, sit down. I was just going to order dinner. You can watch me. Oh. <laughs> but, uh, Georgie. Wait a minute. I'll call the waiter. Hey, waiter. Hey, Bluebird, come over here. Yes, sir. Waiter, I'd like a nice knish. Knish. What is a knish? Georgie, a waiter in Lindy's, and he doesn't know what a knish is? Well, he, he's new here, you oh, see. I see. Yesterday I asked for herring. He didn't know what a herring was. Oh. Had to tell him that a herring is a Bronx barracuda. 
<laughs> well, perhaps you would better tell him what a knish is. Well, I will. Now, look, waiter. A knish is a little thing. It uh, looks like a half a ladyfinger, and it weighs 200 pounds. <laughs> if you eat two of them, you can't get up. That's what it is. Georgie, is that why Lindy's is full all the time? Yes, but people come in... <laughs> They eat two knishes and cannot get out of their chairs. Oh, I often wonder. Yes, so 20 years ago, Lindy himself ate three knishes, and to this day, he has never left a restaurant, believe me. Georgie, I, I don't think you'd better, you'd better not eat a knish. All right, I think I'll have something light. Waiter, bring me a baked watermelon. Yes, sir. Oh, trouble, trouble, trouble. I should have eaten on the train. Oh, you were on the train? Well, of course. I just got back from Washington. Ooh. I had an appointment with the president. The president? Uh-huh. Georgie, not the cabinet... <laughs> Who knows? Marshall may be leaving. Anything can happen, Fred, you know. But Georgie. I you... can see the headlines now. UN endorses the Jessel Plan. The Jessel Plan? It'll be bigger than the Jolson story. <laughs> and the UN can do it without Larry Parks. That'll be something, too. <laughs> Look, Georgie, while you're waiting for your baked watermelon. What, uh, what is it? What did you want to see me well, about? Well, Fred, this is about my new picture playing at the Roxy Theater. It's called When My Baby Smiles at Me. Yeah. Now, maybe you could mention it on your radio program. Oh, George. Oh, I don't mean the whole half hour, Fred. I mean, just mention my picture once, maybe instead of the commercial. Well, Georgie. <laughs> I can't leave out the Ford commercial. What do you need every week with a commercial? Believe me, everybody knows that the 49 Ford is a great car. Well, that's right, George. All right, so just one week. Next Sunday, instead of Ford, you mention my picture. Who'll know the difference? Only you and me. And 6,400 Ford dealers. All right, but Fred, my new picture stars Betty Grable and Dan Daly. Georgie, how can I possibly talk about your picture... I haven't even seen it. Fred, you will see it tonight. You're coming with me to the Roxy. I've got two passes. Two passes? Well, yeah, all right. wait a minute. Here's the waiter. Uh, here you are, sir. Fred, how do you like this waiter? What? He brought me a knish. A knish? Don't even know what a baked watermelon is. <laughs> Say, Georgie, it's it's getting late. Look at the All car. right, come on, Fred. We'll miss the picture. We'd better get to the Roxy let's right away. Go, let's go. Let's go. Fred, right at the Roxy Theater. Gosh, look at that crowd, The show is just about to start, folks, on the screen when my baby smiles at me, starring Betty Grable and Dan Daly. The uh, box office is over here, George. Yeah, wait a minute, Fred. I want to speak to that boy. Hey, Mr. Barker. Yes, sir? Listen, uh... <laughs> okay, Fred, let's go. The show is just about to start, folks, on the screen when my baby smiles at me, produced by Georgie Jessel. <laughs> Georgie, what... What became of Dan Daly and Betty Grable? How do you like that? Well, you promise a guy a screen test, right away he starts yelling your name all over the street. <laughs> Come on, I'll get the ticket. What ticket? I'm the producer. I've got passes. We'll exchange them here at the box office. Oh, good. Uh, pardon me, miss. How many, please? I'd like to exchange these passes. Sorry, but I can't take no passes. But these are perfectly good, miss. Yeah, that's what some guy said last night. I wound up with two tickets to a Wallace rally. <laughs> These passes are signed by Daryl Zanuck. I don't care if they're signed by Thunderhead. <laughs> I want to see the show you're paying a buck forty like everybody else. Georgie, Georgie, tell her who you are. Miss, it so happens that I am Georgie Jessel. So what? What so what? I produced the picture that they're showing inside. What picture? 
when my baby smiles at me. When did we change? You don't even know what picture you're showing? How should I know? My back is to the t- theater. I'll read it with them passes. You're holding up the line. All right, all right, okay. How much is it? For two of you, it'll be three twenty. Miss, you said a dollar forty. Two dollar forties is two eighty. While your friend was stalling, the price has changed. It's three twenty. All right, Miss. Fred, give us a three twenty. Okay, Georgie, you've got your mittens on. Here's uh, here's uh, here's five dollars, Miss. Here's a change. All right, I'll take the tickets, Fred. Let's go in. Tickets, please. Here you are. Main floor, straight ahead for all seats. Come on, Fred. Okay, Georgie. Get in line, please. Usher, usher. Two seats, please. This aisle is full. You'll have to get in line. Usher, I am Georgie Jessel. Mr. Jessel, Usher, produce the picture. Next aisle to your right, sir. Thank you. See, Fred? <laughs> just mentioned a name. It sure worked, Georgie. Oh, Usher. Next aisle to the right, sir. It's just one aisle over, Fred. I'm coming, George. Next aisle to the right. This is the last aisle, Fred. Right through this door, sir. Thank you. <laughs> Georgie, Georgie, we're out on 50th this door, you bums. There's a picture going on in here. We know that. We came here to see the picture. Well, this is an exit. The box office is on 7th Avenue. You'll have to get a ticket. We've got tickets. Yes, he has the stuff. Well, you can't come through this door. We came out this door. You sent us out, remember? It's so dark in here, I can't see faces. Every head to me is just a lump. <laughs> Georgie, Georgie, tell him, tell him who you are. Look, Asha, I am Georgie Jessel. Yeah. Georgie Jessel? I just saw your name on the screen. How oh, do you like that, Fred? The picture started, you've already missed the best part. <laughs> Georgie, if the rest is a letdown, I tell you, I'll see it some other time. Oh, no, no, no. Fred, you're seeing my picture tonight. I should be a good fella. Let us blight in. Well, it, it means breaking my usher's oath, but all right, come on. <laughs> all right. Thank you. Uh, anything else I can do for you, Mr. We Jessel? just want two seats. Yes. Next aisle to your left. Oh, no, you don't. We've been all through that. But this aisle is full, Mr. Jessel. Georgie, why don't we just stand? Now, look, Fred, have you forgotten who you're with? You're not only going to see the picture, you're going to see it sitting down. Sitting where? Uh, have you tried upstairs, Mr. Jessel? That's a good idea. Now, how do we get upstairs? That stairway back of the Dixie Cup leads to the mezzanine. All right, Dixie, Mixie, thanks. Come on, let's go, Fred. All right, Georgie. <laughs> Here we are in the mezzanine, George. Well, we'll get some action now. Here's the usher. Yes, sir. Can I help you? <laughs> yes. Two seats, usher, please. May I see your stubs? Here they are. <laughs> oh, shame on you, sir. Shame on you. Who's smoking? What's wrong, Usher? This is the mezzanine, the low seat. So what? Your tickets are for the lower floor. Well, how do we get tickets to sit up here? You'll have to go back to the box office. All right, you stay here, Fred. You rest yourself. I'll go down to the box office. I wouldn't advise it, sir. Why not? There aren't any low seats right now. No seats? Georgie, Georgie, as long as there aren't any seats. Fred, you're going to see my picture if I have to get two Morris chairs. Sorry, no Morris chairs allowed in the mezzanine. <laughs> Pasha, do you know who I am? You're Georgie Jessel. Well, how did you know? Oh, word gotten around. <laughs> well, look, Asha, I produced this picture. I was on my feet day and night. Seven days a week for 12 months. I'm a tired man, and I'd like to sit down. Well, you can't sit here. Why don't you try the balcony? Now, how do we get to the balcony? You're left behind the candy counter. Four flights up. 
I'll spy us on the All right, come on. Come on. Let's go, Fred. To the balcony? They know I'm here. They're probably holding something open. Well, let's go and find out. <laughs> Gosh, Georgie, this balcony's pretty high. My nose is bleeding. <laughs> Look, George, the stage is a mile away. Who's that on the screen? Wait a minute. I, I think it's Dan Daly. From here, he looks like Lassie. <laughs> Look, as soon as we get two seats, I will rent a couple of telescopes. Oh. See, it will be all right. Oh, Usher... Your stubs, please. Usher, I'm Georgie Jessel. Glad to meet you, sir. I'm Horace Treadwell. Your stubs, please. <laughs> Looky, Horace, we'd like a couple of seats. Yeah. Next aisle to your right, sir. Now, wait a minute. This could be dangerous. Is there a door up here? <laughs> Are there any seats up here? No, sir. Georgie, I've had enough. I want my money back. Now, Fred, I produced the picture. We've got tickets. Yeah. We're going to get seats. Horace, where's the manager's office? On the main floor, Mr. Jessel. All right, thank you, Horace. Let's go, Fred. <laughs> Now, when do I get my money? Stop with the money, Fred. We're going to get seats. Now, here's the sign. Manager's office. Yes? Uh, pardon me. I'm looking for the manager. Georgie Jessel. Well, Joe Hawkins, you old son of a gun. You're the manager? Georgie, I heard you were making a tour of the theater. Well, how'd you like it? Oh. <laughs> Theater is great. Only one thing. Say, did you ever think of putting in two more seats? <laughs> two more seats? I'll make a note of that. Never mind the seats. What about my money? George, who is this? Well, this is Fred Allen, a friend of mine. Oh. Georgie, I expect two seats to open up in the orchestra any minute. Oh, nice work, Joe. Thank you. A couple of bobby socks dropped their lunch on the way in this morning. They've been sitting inside for ten hours with no food. They can't last much longer. <laughs> they can still last longer than I can. I want my money back. You want your money back? Yes, I want my money back. You'll get your money back. It's going to look mighty bad on the report. What report? The report to the front office. One refund on when my baby smiles at me. Mr. Zanuck's going to think somebody didn't like the picture. Who produced the picture? Georgie Jessel. But I didn't see the picture. Alan, you call yourself Georgie's friend. You're sticking a knife right in his back. Georgie. He's right, Fred. I'm sticking a knife in your back? The handle is showing. <laughs> Georgie, I paid $3.20 to see your picture. I didn't see your picture. I would like to have my money back. Gad, he's stuck. Yes, I'm stuck. Now, wait a minute, fella. Wait a minute. I'll fix this. I'll tell you why we look. Joe, can you get Fred a bag of popcorn? Sure. Here's a bag right here. I just finished popping it. Fine. Here you are, Fred. There's plenty of butter in it, too. Georgie, now, go ahead. Georgie, nobody eats popcorn just to eat popcorn. People only eat popcorn when they're watching a picture. Now, sit down, Fred. Eat your popcorn, and I'll tell you the story of my picture. Are you ready? Now, wait till I get my popcorn open. Okay, Georgie, I'm ready. Well, when my baby smiles at me is the story of a great love. Dan Daly is in love with Betty Grable. Give me some. As the picture starts, Dan Daly is on the stage singing. For when my baby smiles at me, my heart goes roaming to... Paradise, yes, sir. And when my before we close up shop, your Ford dealer wants to give you a safety reminder. The highways are extra crowded this weekend, and he hopes that you'll drive with extra caution. In almost all traffic accidents, someone has violated the laws. To so observe all the rules, be alert and careful. 
the life you save may be your own. Next week, our guest will be Henry Morgan, a friend of Jack Eigen's. Thank you, and good night. Good night. This is NBC, the national... Proceeding has been... Radio Production.